Well, welcome back everyone. And those of you who are just joining me for the first time, thanks for tuning in. My name is Pastor D. I'm from the Heights Church, and this is Devos with D. We're going to be studying mysteries of Revelation. That's mysteries that are in the book of Revelation. So let's get right to it because there's a lot of material to cover, and I don't want us to miss not one single thing. I'd like us to pray before we jump into this lesson. And you say, Pastor D, every week you don't pray right at the top of uh, this, the lessons. I know, because I'm praying constantly throughout the week, right up until the time that I deliver this message. But today I feel that it is so important because I have been bombarded with a lot of different things this week. This has been a harrowing week um, full of difficulties and obstacles and injuries this week. So I know that the enemy would like me not to deliver this particular message. He will. He doesn't want us to study this. He doesn't want us to know this. So I just want to pray over this particular message in particular. So Father, we just give you thanks and praise. Open up our eyes as we hear the words from the gospel and we hear the words from the scholars and we put it all together. Thank you, Lord God, for giving us the opportunity to study, to dig into the Bible. And we just love and adore you. And we thank you that you're here with us and that you're going to uh, open this up. You're going to make it so that we are uh, hearing what we're supposed to hear. And then we're taking it and living it. So we give you thanks and praise in Jesus name. Amen. In the beginning, I want to just share some things, some points that I want you to remember. There are lessons that we're to gain from the book of Revelation. And plus, there's some things that we need to know from the book of Revelation that are in particular and specific to this book. And that is that this book amplifies reality. There are some things in this book that seem so strange, so weird, so out of it, so bizarre but they're to amplify reality and they're to get a point across. And that's the next thing. This book will point us to a truth. We are to get God's truth from this. It is Jesus Christ speaking to us, speaking to the church. And so I want to get everything out of it that I'm supposed to get. And I want you to get everything out of it that you're supposed to get. The third thing is it will illuminate. It'll open up our thinking and, and turn us on to a new way of living. Maybe we haven't been on the trail as hard and fast as we needed to be, but this will just tune us in to where we're supposed to be and get us on the right track and remind us of who God is and what he's about and what he's about to do. Let's look at our scripture tonight. Our scripture, of course, is in the book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelations, the second chapter, the 20th verse through the 25th verse in the NIV. And then I'm also going to look at 1 Kings 16, verses 31 through 33 in the NIV. And I want you to know that as we are reading Revelation, it start, the book starts off with an angel bringing messages to the seven churches. God and Jesus are sending a message to the seven churches. So let's get into the scripture. Let's read Revelations 2, verses 20 through 25 first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. 
by her teaching, she misleads my servants. She misleads them into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am him who teaches and searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Now let's read 1 Kings 16, 30-33. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. We're getting into some tough words. We're going to look at this deeply. I'm going to pull things apart and hopefully give you a broad sweep of what the Lord is talking about. And I know that God is going to pull it all together in the end. First, I'd like to just look at, he talked about Thyatira. Let's look at the city of Thyatira. So we're in the New Testament period. This city was located on the Lycus River. It was in northern Lydia, which was a Roman province of Asia. Now it's considered modern-day West Turkey. The name Thyatira means daughter in Greek. They were known for their trade guilds and purple dye. The trade guilds, and this is from William Barclay, he was a British theologian. He says, these guilds met frequently and they met for a common meal. Such a meal was at least in part a religious ceremony. It would probably meet in a heathen temple. And it would certainly begin with a libation to the gods. And the meal would largely consist of meat offered to idols. The official position of the church at that time meant that a Christian could not attend such a meal. So they were known for their trade guilds. Every artisan or every craftsman belonged to a guild. The two most powerful guilds were the coppersmiths and the dyers. Again, Barclay says, no merchant or trader 
could hope to prosper or make money unless they were a member of the trade guild. Nonetheless, Christians were expected to stand in the face of this kind of pressure. One ancient Christian, his name was Tertullian, wrote about Christians who made their living in trades connected to pagan idolatry. A painter might find work in pagan temples, or a sculptor might be hired to make a statue of a pagan god. They would justify this by saying, this is my living and I must live. Tertullian replied, must you live? Tertullian was saying, do you need to live and make a living in that by those means, by serving uh, people who serve those gods and by serving, almost serving those gods yourself? Each guild had a patron deity and their deity came from the collection or the pantheon of Roman and Greek gods. So let's look at Thyatira, that church, during what is focused on in the book of Revelation. So we talked about Thyatira, the city. Now let's look at that church. It was possibly started by Lydia, who was a convert of Paul's. And this was done when she returned from Philippi. They were a model church by all appearances. They had four great qualities, love, service, faith, and patience. Yet there was a seething underbelly. In modern lingo, they were the tolerant or socially and politically correct church. Jesus had a bone to pick with them. And what do I mean by that? It means that Jesus had an issue that he had to discuss with them. He put them on notice and he did it by sending an angel. Ray C. Stedman in his article, Authentic Christianity, says this. This whole scenario is parallel to many churches today that accept the easygoing sexuality and lack of standards that is so widespread in our society. For instance, some churches approve of homosexuality as an alternative lifestyle. Many do not discipline their members when they fall into sexual immorality. Others allow pornography to go unchallenged in their midst. But notice that the Lord holds the church responsible. His accusation to them is, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. This is a problem that the church has to face in our day, just as it had to face it in the first century. Wow, he's talking strong to us. He's telling us we just can't let things slide. And I want to just stop. I'm going to go on a bunny trail here for a minute. And you might say, Pastor, don't, don't jump on us. Don't get in our faces. Don't get in our space. But I would not be the pastor that I'm supposed to be. I would not be the child of God. I would not be the loving person if I didn't bring us to look at something here that is very important. I know we may say we love God. 
We may say, um, well, I feel this way. I feel that I'm a, I, I was born a man, but I'm a woman. And I was born a woman, but I'm a man. Or I'm a man and I'm drawn to men. I'm attracted to men. I'm not attracted to women. Or women may say, I'm attracted to women. You may say, okay, now you're really getting on a soapbox, Pastor D. No, I'm not going to get on a soapbox. I'm going to lovingly tell you that if you say you love God, you say that Jesus Christ is your Lord. He said that we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Now, what does that mean? That means that we have to put off our desires. We have to put off the things that we want and look at what Jesus wants for our lives. What is Jesus saying to us in the scripture? Because that's our truth. That's what we need to run to. That's how we know if we're on the right trail. We need to stand on truth. And I tell you, if you're not following what the scripture is saying, then you're not following Jesus. We're his disciples. If we say that we are trusting him and that we are Jesus followers, then we will do what he says. Okay, that's enough. I hope you get that. I hope you didn't close uh, your ears. I hope you didn't turn off the TV set. I hope you think about that. That if you are going down a trail that is contradictory to the word of God, then you need to ask God to bring you back on track, to show you a better way. Okay, let's get back to this Bible study. So the Lord Jesus Christ is putting that church at Thyatira on notice. Also, alongside of this church that's kind of running amok and doing what they want to do, contradictory to the word, they're not following scripture they're not following what the Lord taught. They're not following what Paul taught. They're not following anything. They're just listening to what their flesh is saying and going off after that. There was another doctrine going on at the same time, and it was called the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The name literally means to conquer the people. And some people believe this was a derogatory title, Nicolaitans. And it has the idea of a proud authority and a hierarchical separatism. They, the doctrine that they taught, they were considered following the doctrine of Balaam. And you'll have to look that up in scripture and see who Balaam is and what he was trying to teach. Part of it is that it was lawful to eat things sacrificed to idols that it was okay to commit fornication or have sex out of marriage or have sex, commit adultery, have sex with other people's wives or husbands. And circumcision was required for salvation. Listen to this quote from John MacArthur in his New Testament commentary. He said this, a church may feel satisfied with itself, have a good reputation in the community or even with other churches, but the penetrating eyes of the Lord Jesus see it as it really is. So we can't hide from the Lord. We might look good on the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the church, looks at it at what's really going on, not just from the exterior. 
So tonight we're focusing on Jezebel. You may have heard that name. You may know a little bit about Jezebel from reading scripture in 1 Kings. But that's what we're focusing on tonight, Jezebel. She's mentioned here in Revelations 2, and we're going to find out why she is. So first, we're going to look at the biblical Jezebel, meaning the Jezebel that is in 1 Kings 16. And I'm going to look at this three, wait, wait a minute, I can't get three fingers up, three different ways. So let's, let's dive in. Let's, let's get this together. So the biblical Jezebel, she was the daughter of the king of Sidon and Tyre. And Sidon and Tyre would be Lebanon today. She was a wife of King Ahab of Israel. And they were considered the northern kingdom. And Judah was the southern kingdom. And remember, they had a split after Solomon died that they split off into two kingdoms. She popularized Baal worship in Israel. Jezebel slew the prophets of Yahweh. She supported and fed over 800 prophets of Baal. She was considered a ruthless, immoral murderer and seducer of the Israelite people. And she died a gruesome death as prophesied by the prophet Elijah. We're going to take a little side trip again. And you're going to say why, and you're going to find out. We're going to talk about the Phoenicians just for a moment, because you need to know a little background on the Queen Jezebel from 1 Kings 16. Je Jezebel's father was the king of the Phoenicians. He probably served as a priest of Astarte, the primary Phoenician goddess. As the king's daughter, Jezebel may have served as a priestess. And this is from the, the historian in the first century, Josephus. He's saying this. Phoenicians worshipped many gods and goddesses, chief among them Baal. He was the head fertility and agricultural god of the Canaanites. Let's look at a little bit of background on the Phoenicians. And this comes from History Today magazine. They were famed for their commercial and maritime prowess. They were recognized as having established harbors, trading posts, and settlements throughout the Mediterranean basin. Unlike other empires forged by war, the Phoenician empire was built on trade. Their commercial empire would last for nearly a millennium until it was ultimately until it ultimately fell to Rome. We talked about Baal and that Jezebel served Baal. She wanted all of Israel. She wanted to get wipe God's name from the face of the earth. She didn't want anybody to speak of Yahweh. She served Baal. What was Baal worship all about? The practice of Baal worship infiltrated Jewish religious life during the time of the judges and became widespread in Israel during and Judah 
during the reign of Ahab. The word Baal means Lord. Baal worship was rooted in sensuality and involved ritualistic prostitution in the temple. Appeasing Baal required human sacrifice, usually the firstborn of the one making the sacrifice. The priests of Baal appealed to their God in the rites of wild abandon, which included loud ecstatic cries and self-inflicted injury. So now we're going to focus on the Jezebel that is spoken of in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 2. This Jezebel, as she is called, that was not her actual name. She was probably a dominant church leader. She was a self-proclaimed prophetess. Some scholars even believe that this person was the wife of the pastor. The Lord names people according to their character, which is why he often renamed people in the Gospels. He renamed Peter from Simon to Peter, the rock. So the Lord would change people's names, and he specifically named this woman Jezebel because he wanted you to know what her characteristics were so that you would know what kind of person she was and that you weren't to follow her. Also, the third thing that I want to look at has to do with the spirit of Jezebel. Now, a lot of people don't believe that there's a spirit of Jezebel. That's okay. You can, de you can debate it. You can disagree with me. That's all right. I don't mind that. But I can't do an overall sweep of Jezebel without mentioning this. Let's look at the spirit of Jezebel. The Bible never uses the terms, the Jezebel spirit or the spirit of Jezebel, but it's defined as a disposition or demonic influence that causes rifts in churches, families, marriages, and people through cunning, deception, and seduction. What are the characteristics? This Demonic influence can come through a man or a woman. Even though it's the name Jezebel, it doesn't mean it specifically refers to a woman. So let's focus on those characteristics. This type of person that is influenced by this demon or this, um, or influenced by Satan or however you want to describe it, who has these, uh, this disposition, likes to take leadership control. They crave influence. They will sidle up to the leader and say they'll do anything for this leader. They want to be in the leader's back pocket. They want to infiltrate where all the influence is because then they want to influence that person. They will sometimes be saying one thing to that person but undermining them behind their back. And isn't that what Absalom did, David's son? He was pretending he loved his father, but outside the gate, he was turning the hearts of the people 
away from his father. They crave influence. They crave power. Also, they attempt to undermine the scripture. They teach heresy. It is just like the serpent in the garden. He says, oh, uh, did God really say that? They'll say, oh, God didn't mean that. Oh, surely God didn't mean that. They'll attempt to turn you away from the Bible. And then they'll try to rob God of his worship, subtly offering up other gods and idols. They want you to compromise. That's what it's all about, turning you away from God so that you'll go off on a trail and be left so that they can annihilate you. So they take you into ruin. That's what this spirit of Jezebel is all about. Let's look at this quote from David Guzik. He said this, the greater the evil, the more deceptive its cloak. Oh yeah, the enemy is very subtle. It says it right in Genesis. He's a tricky character. Don't think you can outwit him. The only way that you can overcome the enemy is through Jesus Christ. God will always cause you to triumph in Christ. So what are my thoughts about all of this that we've talked about? I have four things that I want to share with you. These are my thoughts. Again, you don't have to agree with me. In fact, I hope that you will say, Pastor D, this has stimulated me to, to study, to see if what you're saying is true. Please dig further into the book of Revelation. Dig further into scripture. Study, study, study to show yourself approved to God. Not to me. You're not needing to prove anything to me. I'm just a person like you are. But study to show yourself approved to God. Here are my thoughts again. We need to be sober-minded because our adversary, the devil, is walking around seeking who he may devour. And we need to be able to resist him. He is looking for our vulnerable spots. He wants to target our Achilles heel. He wants to take us down. And don't think that any of us can't be led astray. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit that is sent to help us, to lead us and guide us in the truth, can we stay on the right track. The second thing is, we need to be vigilant about spiritual things. We can't, you know, be so focused on football or baseball or hockey, or we can't be so focused on, you know, basketball or um, going out with our buddies and whatever. We need to be focused on the word. It doesn't mean we can't have fun. A lot of people think that when you're in Christ, you can't have fun. Yeah, you can have fun. I Oh, I, you know, one of my fun things to do is to go to Disneyland or go to Disney World or go on a cruise. I have fun. I enjoy myself. I enjoy life. But God is not separate. He is always a part of my life. And my main focus is the main focus, and that is him. And that needs to be your focus. We focus on the word. We focus on prayer. We focus on fasting. And we focus on Christian fellowship. We can't always hang with people. Yeah, we can hang with non-Christian people. Yeah, it's okay. We can get to know them. 
but the people that will encourage us, that will always remind us to stay on the right track, that will jump in our space and let us know, hey, you knew that was wrong. You need to repent, is our Christian brothers and sisters. And we need them. We need to be in fellowship with them. We can't lose fellowship. And I know right now during this COVID thing, we are off in our homes and maybe we're in the drive-in church or we're still on uh, Zoom, whatever, just so that we get plugged in and stay plugged in. Whatever mechanism you have to use to get that Christian fellowship, looking at, at you know, video vlogs or whatever, pod, listening to podcasts or whatever you can do to hear the word of God and stay filled with his spirit and stay refreshed and revived. Whatever we have to do, we need to do that. You said, wow, pastor, you're wound up. Well, this, this particular chapter wound me up, I'm telling you, because we can get seduced. We can be led off from what is real and what is right. The third thing, or my third thought, is that we need to reject the false. We need to reject the false. We don't need to mess around. If we know it's wrong, we need to say, that's wrong, and I'm not getting involved in that. If people are talking about things, we need to say, I'm sorry, I can't agree with that. I'm sorry, I don't agree with that. This is, this is what I think. We can't mess around with those things that are false. We can't play with the devil. We can't see how close we can get to the edge. Don't mess around. Reject the faults. The fourth thing is, stay with what is true. Stay with God. Stay with his word. God and the Lord Jesus will never let you down. The Holy Spirit will never let you down. Jesus wasn't letting you down. He, When he left, he told his disciples that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. Not only did he send them the Holy Spirit for his disciples then, he sent them for his disciples now. The Holy Spirit is here with us. When we accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit comes in and revives and regenerates our human spirit. He is in us. He is with us. He is for us. And he will stand against what God wants us to stand against. He will stand with us and tell us what the Father and what Jesus is saying so that we stay on track. We stay on board with what is true and what is real. Well, wow, we we went through a lot today, didn't we? I, I'm <laughs> If you're still there, thank God you're still sitting there with me holding on saying, oh, wow, Pastor D, we went on a trip tonight. I want you to know that I love you. And maybe you thought I said something that was hurtful to you. I had to speak the truth. And I hope that you know that I was speaking the truth in love. Not to hurt you, but to let you know that the only real truth is in Scripture. And if we are our gods, if we are Jesus' disciples, we have to stay with the Word. So will you pray with me? And I hope to see you next week because we're going to still continue in the mysteries of Revelation. Father, I just give you thanks and praise for allowing us to be in the Word tonight. Lord, your Word is sweet. It's sweeter than the honeycomb. Now, Lord, there is so much that we have to 
um, think about and meditate on and, and make sure that we heard it right. And Lord, we're going to continue to study it. We're going to um, just be in your word more often because we know that's the place that we need. That's where our strength comes from. That's where our help comes from. So we give you thanks and praise. We love and adore you. Bless your people, Lord God, wherever they are across these airwaves, whether they are listening on Spotify or they're watching on YouTube or Facebook. Be with them. Heal them. Encourage them. And I give you all the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.